As we continue our Habits of His Grace, we add to that list of habits that we've already focused on, faithfulness and determination. Today we add to that list compassion. Compassion changes things, doesn't it? Compassion, it changes those who receive it. Compassion changes those who extend it. Maybe you're familiar with Stephen Covey, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He told in in that book a story that I, I think relates to how quickly compassion can change things. He he talks about a situation, an experience he had on a subway in New York. And it was a Sunday morning, and everything was relatively quiet and calm. Some people were reading newspapers. Everybody was minding their own business, enjoying the quiet ride, until, until a father and his rather reckless, noisy, obnoxious children came onto the subway. And suddenly, it was pure chaos. The children were misbehaving. They were bothering and and interrupting people, reading their newspapers, just being totally uh, misbehaving. And what made it even worse was that this father seemed to be uncaring and disinterested and relatively distant. And the longer this went on, the author shared that eventually it, it just, he worked up enough frustration, irritation to say something to the father asking him if he planned to do anything to control his his misbehaving children. And then as if he had kind of almost been off in a distant land, the man snapped to it and and very alertly apologized and, and said to the man, we just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. And they probably don't know how to handle or process it any better than I do. And just like that, in an instant, that irritation, that frustration, the anger that he was feeling had been flooded and washed away and replaced with compassion. So that there was this genuine, earnest desire to be a system of support for this man, to see if he could provide anything in his moment of need. Compassion changes things. And this morning, today, as we reflect on compassion, I want to push us a little bit more to to consider a tension that exists when we talk about this habit of His grace. Compassion, is it something that is a feeling? Is it an emotion? Or does it involve, does it require action? And the more that we consider this as we contemplate and reflect how compassion applies to, to either feelings and emotions and action, that we would take away uh, maybe a more self-awareness to realize a lack of maybe the feeling, the emotional end of compassion, or maybe a lack of taking action spurred on by, by compassion. One thing that, that is understandable or notable about the, the basic definition is, is that it does seem to uh, apply to our emotional uh, components, that when we talk about compassion, it means to struggle with or struggle together. And we think of that as primarily being an an emotional thing, that somebody you feel compassion toward another. But is that the extent of compassion? Consider, Consider a hypothetical scenario in which a different needy person comes to your house every evening for a week. 
Every evening, your heart goes out to that person who shows up at your door, who is hungry, who is starving, and as much as you express to them that you, you feel for them in their situation, you just aren't in a position to help them. Later on, as you are retelling this account to a friend of yours, how, how seven different individuals came to your, your house in need, and, and you, you explained to your friend how compassionate you felt toward these people in need, and your friend says, well, well, what did you do? How did you help them? And you say, well, I, I couldn't really do anything to help them. What is your friend's assessment going to be of your compassion? Is it going to be that, that he feels that your compassion was genuine? Or is he going to question how genuine it was if you didn't do anything, in fact, to, to show compassion, if there was no action accompanying it? And I don't know that this is actually something that is unique to just this scenario, but it does lead us to raise the question, do we have a different perspective of compassion when we apply it to ourselves than we do to other people? Are we a little bit more forgiving when it comes to ourselves? Are we inclined to be okay with compassion being a feeling, an emotion, something that stirs us about other people? But then when we look at others, when we're assessing others' compassion, do we feel the same way if that feeling or that emotion is not accompanied by action? Now, I can only speak for myself. I don't know if this applies to you. But I know that in, in my own relationships, in my own interactions with other people, with, with my wife, that there are times that it seems almost as if I want to get brownie points, that I want to be uh, acknowledged for thinking about a thing or feeling a certain way about something, especially when no action is accompanied by it. I wanted to do this. I meant to do this. I felt like that was important, but it didn't get done. So is I wanted to take out the trash the same as actually getting the trash to the curb? Does it matter to say that I intended to unclog the, the drains if they still remain clogged? I think we all know the answer to that. Feelings, emotions, good intentions aren't the same as action. And in fact, I think this is pretty common because we have a, a phrase that we use that kind of lets us off the hook when action doesn't follow our good intentions. Think of what happens when uh, we talk about gift giving or rather maybe a, a lack thereof. What is the expression we use? It's the thought that counts. But does it? Especially when it comes to compassion, is the thought what really counts? Is that enough? Is that going to, to help that person who is in need to say, well, I, I feel pity for you, I feel compassion toward you, or are they going to question that if there is no action taken, especially in our culture, in our society today, where, where everything is so rife with activism, nobody buys that you just support something or you verbalize your acknowledgement or you're in favor of something if it isn't accompanied by action. How much more so than within the church when we talk about compassion and exercise or showing compassion to others, do we actually show it or just feel it? It's interesting when we look in the Gospels, the life and, and the record of Jesus' works and his words, anytime that word compassion comes up, you know what? It is interesting that not once does it come up and only refer to a way that Jesus was feeling 
or an emotion that he was experiencing. Every time you come across the word compassion in regard to Jesus in the Gospels, it is followed by action. Jesus, his heart goes out to, to the crowds. He has compassion on those who are like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do? He teaches them. And as he's teaching them, and he realizes it's late in the day and, and, and they're hungry, he has compassion on them, so what does he do? He feeds them. Other cases where he comes across those who are, who are ill, those who are sick, those who are demon-possessed, and we're told that he has compassion on them, it's not just a feeling or an emotion, but he heals them. He had compassion on two men who were blind. It wasn't just a feeling or an emotion. He gave them sight. For Jesus, compassion was more than an emotion or a feeling. For Jesus... Compassion produced action. Say it with me. Compassion produces action. And now we realize that we're just actually in another realm of, of tension when it comes to compassion producing action. Because then we have to assess and evaluate what kind of action is being taken and why it's being taken. Biologists know, we have studied and, and recognized that when feelings of compassion are experienced internally, that chemical known as the bonding chemical, oxytocin is released, and, and that compels, that drives action. But then we have to wrestle with the action being taken. Is it to satisfy me or to satisfy the person to whom I claim to be compassionate? In other words, do my actions simply scratch an itch that I have to feel better about myself and meeting somebody's need, or am I more concerned about taking action that actually serves the person in need? I'll share a story that I know I've, I've shared before, and I share this story only because it is perhaps still stands out as the most convicting example of, of what compassion looks like in my own life. Two years ago, actually this month, on a Friday in March, there was an individual, a, a young homeless man on our property here at church, and it was during the school day, and we're of course very cautious about any stranger being on the property over the course of the school day when children are here. And I recall that, that some parents, some volunteers were preparing hot lunch that day, and, and this man had kind of wandered around. and and knowing that we didn't want it to be an issue, but also because we we're concerned about his needs. I engaged him. I started talking to him. And after several hours of, of talking with him, I got to know his story, a little bit of his background. Something wasn't, wasn't all there in terms of, of mental capacity, and there was some paranoia and other issues. But by and large, we were able to, to, to have a conversation, and I got to know him a little. He even shared his Facebook profile with me. But as this conversation went on, and a little longer, and it didn't seem to come to an end, I found out, you know, internally I was feeling a little bit irritated. Because this was, after all, my, my day off, and this wasn't how I had planned to spend it, talking to this guy all day. So it kind of prompted or hastened me to ask him finally, then, how, how can we help? And I asked the customary, you know, do you need food? Uh, can, I, can I drive you somewhere? Um, thinking that the sooner we can address these, then I can really kind of move on this inconvenience and get on with, with my day. 
And that's when, when what he said really convicted me because I was faced with how I was going to handle it. What he said was, well, what I could really use is a shower and clean clothes. And at that moment, I realized, was I asking him what he needed so that I could hurry him along or because I was compassionately, genuinely concerned about meeting his needs? Because I realized that my wife was away at work and the kids were at school, so I had a vacant house, so there was no, no really legitimate worry. And, and in that house is a shower and a washing machine, so we spent the next couple hours in my house, he was showering, we washed his clothes, gave him a meal, got in contact with a family member and eventually dropped him off at the trolley to get to his next destination. And I say that only because of how convicted I was in realizing the limitations, the confines of my own idea of compassion, that I was willing to be compassionate to an extent. And really my concern was, was more dealing with this inconvenience than it was meeting his needs. And that doesn't mean that, that anybody in that same situation should have or would have handled it the same way. It's not wrong if somebody else would not have given that man a shower. I don't share that because that was the right thing or to hold myself up, but rather quite the opposite, to convict me and realize how limited my idea of compassion was. To ask, was I really going to do something nice for this guy because it made me feel better, or was I going to do the more difficult thing and actually meet his needs? So while we might handle situations differently, the takeaway would be this, that our first question in those scenarios is not, what would others do? It's not, what should I do? The first question we want to ask is, what does this individual need from me? right now? What is his need? What is her need? And then ask those other questions to determine if I can meet them. But don't start with the other ones. What does this individual need? And Jesus was the master at that. That's exactly what we see in the gospel today. If you know the context of Jesus' interaction with these Pharisees, we don't have to even know the, the motives of why they were warning him about Herod. Were they genuine? Or were there ulterior motives of them warning Jesus, you got to get out of town because Herod's going to kill you. Were they really concerned about his, his safety, the way that they knew John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod and they didn't want the same fate to fall on Jesus? Or were they really just trying to, to prompt and, and usher in his demise in Jerusalem even sooner? It doesn't matter because Jesus demonstrates compassion that, that he is concerned not just about the good people, not just his disciples, not just the, the, the people that we would expect, but even to his enemies, even to his opponents, Jesus is always concerned compassionately meeting what their needs are. He says in verse 34 in Luke chapter 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It doesn't matter who it is, Jesus demonstrated his past desire and even his current desire because he's still engaging with his, with his enemies, with these Pharisees, that his desire was to do what was necessary to bring them to know him as their Savior. But they rejected that. But it didn't change his, his determination, his faithfulness to do what he knew was necessary, which is what he explained in verse 33, why this wasn't going to deter him. He says in verse 33, In any case... 
I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus was demonstrating that he knew and was intent upon carrying out what was necessary to meet their needs. Jesus was not content, okay, with just letting compassion feel sorry for a lost and condemned world. Jesus' compassion drove him to take action. And that action, of course, was what would lead him to end up in Jerusalem, to experience that suffering, that death, and his resurrection for sin and salvation, to provide the forgiveness, to provide reconciliation, to restore the relationship with our Heavenly Father that each and every one of us has, has absolutely broken and demolished by our sin. Jesus' compassion drove him to bind together, to restore that relationship, to take action to do what was necessary. Jesus' compassion was not just an example for us to follow. It was the perfect embodiment of compassion for us, to us, that ultimately led him to the cross. Speaking of, of that, have you recognized that these habits of grace all have that in common? That that inevitably is where they all end up? Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' determination, today Jesus' compassion, Ultimately, they all collide. They all end up at the cross, don't they? And, spoiler alert, the remaining three habits of his grace that we'll look at throughout this series end at the same place, Jesus' cross. You realize that, that we've been talking about compassion. There's a word in, in compassion that very much ties into the season of Lent. The very last week, and indeed the last Sunday of the season of Lent, have that word passion in them. Sometimes it's called uh, Palm Sunday, but also Passion Sunday. Sometimes it's called Holy Week, but also Passion Week. Passion, remember, means suffering, which is exactly what we focus on that last week and really the season of Lent, but, but with an intensity during that last week that isn't rivaled earlier on in the season of Lent, Jesus suffered. Jesus took action. That is what compassion compelled him to do. And he did that through his suffering, through his death, through his resurrection for your salvation and mine. So the question then is, how does this habit of his grace, how does this, this compassion, how does it become more a part of our lives? Well, first, Let's stop believing that lie that, that it's really the thought that counts. Now, there's a place for those thoughts and those emotions. We talk about empathy and sympathy, and those are important to, to suffer with somebody, just to emotionally be there for somebody. But let's distinguish that from compassion. Let's let compassion produce action and recognize that feelings are different than taking action that can serve somebody else and see where that might be the case increasingly in our lives. So we consider this compassion, it always has to start at the same place, doesn't it? If we want this to be more a part of our own lives, we start at the cross. And as we depart from that cross, from Christ's cross, where he showed us compassion, that is where we then are prepared to pick up our own cross 
And as his faithful, determined disciples, the Holy Spirit then opens our eyes to myriad opportunities to not only feel compassion toward others, but to act on it. To realize that the compassion that Christ has for us, he wants to extend through us. And we then look for those opportunities to do that very thing because we know that compassion changes things. Compassion changes those who receive it just as it has changed us through Christ's compassion toward us. And compassion changes those who extend it to others. Let's be both. Let his compassion change us so that our compassion might change others as well.